Welcome, everyone, to the Squid Melt and Belief Fan Show, brought to you by the Hockey News. With over 2 million dedicated readers, the Hockey News is the authoritative source of hockey and the number one publication in North America. With an ever-growing podcast network and video database on top of an already established print and digital brand, the Hockey News is there to cover all the major hockey stories from around the world. Visit THN.com deal to get the best value on a subscription to the Hockey News. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Lease fan, and joining me as always, my co-host, Ricky Squid5. How's things going, Squid? Fantastic, Mike. Couldn't be better. Uh, seeing the Leafs kind of starting to, I don't know, I've moved some uh, chess pieces around, and uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot more to, to come. Uh, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if we see six, seven new faces on that in that roster next year. Yeah, it sure seems to be shaping up that way. Uh, it's not too often you see, well, Jimmy Rutherford gets criticized quite a bit, but we're not without sounding too much like a homer. It sounds like, uh, boy, oh boy, what was he thinking? I mean, really, uh, uh, you're well, giving up, uh, you know, Kapanen, to me, I've always been a big fan. I believe he was a 5-2-0 player, but this guy's playing in the third line the last three and a half years. He hasn't been able to really put it all together. Maybe a change of scenery would do him well. But boy, oh boy, giving up a first-round pick, 15th overall. You gave up a kid with a little bit of promise in Hollander, who's back in the Swiss League playing in a couple minor leaguers, basically. One a restricted free agent they may or may not uh, qualify. But boy, oh boy, uh, it's nice to be on that one end of it. And poor old Mr. Jimmy took a real beating on Twitter, that's for sure. Well, he did. But, you know, when you think about it, Kapanen is a pretty good player. And, oh, no uh, question. As you said, he can, he can play a, a lot of different roles. But he might get a chance to play with Crosby or Malkin on the right side. And, you know, if he gets that opportunity and, and they give him a real good shot on one of those lines, he could, he could have a real good season. Yeah. Hey, you know, because he, he's that good a player. He is. And, you yeah, know, maybe the change of scenery would do him well. And, uh, you know, we, we wish him all the, all the best success going forward. I do like him as a player, but just not against Toronto, hopefully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Some interesting things developing in the playoffs, as we see with some unseen goals and, you know, some, you know, maybe some questionable calls on the referee inside and maybe some, uh, the playoff disciplinarian uh, guy, disciplinarian guys, first day at the new tongue, Mike, nice talking there uh, on some of the penalties, but away from all of that, anything you've seen so far that stands out with any of the series? I, I think the biggest surprise is Dallas. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, they, they've come out and, and uh, took a 2 nothing lead on Colorado. Colorado got back to 2-1, but uh, Dallas is playing very, very well right now, and uh, they're giving Colorado everything they can handle. And, of course, Colorado, without their number one goalie, Grubauer, and, and uh, defenseman Johnson is out. So uh, that hurts quite a bit, and uh, that might be part of it, but – at the same time, uh, Dallas is playing real good hockey. Well, and it's, it's nice to see the New Jersey Devils back in the, uh, the second round of the playoffs wearing New York Islander sweaters. With, you, know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, they dump the puck in and five guys sit at center ice. And wait for them. It's, like, it's like, come on, Rover, Rover, come on over. And it, it's not exactly the most exciting hockey, but it seems to be winning. And here we are again. And you know what it does? It circles right back. Now that team is just a little south of me at the Scotiabank Arena and Lou and what wins and what doesn't win. So anyway, I guess we can't really criticize because he's got them winning. Well, you look at – you've got to look at some of their forwards too. Dynamic uh, Barzell. Yeah. Oh, no he's question. Been unbelievable. And Anders Lee. I mean, but they do play that type of style. Maybe not quite the way New Jersey did, but pretty yeah. close. And then when they get opportunities, then they pounce on them, and uh, and they're they're playing a very good hockey right now as well. And uh, you know, give Barry Trotz a lot of credit for coming in there and turning all that around. And uh, uh, boy, oh boy, I'm sure Washington wishes they never let him go now. What about Nashville? Everywhere he's been. Uh, yeah, or Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, you got on Tony at some point, you know, coaches sometimes gets too much credit on the wins and too much blame on the losses. In this case, yeah. he's making a pretty strong, <laughs> solid case for himself that he is a difference maker. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
you know, you, you wonder now, Todd Reardon kind of got thrown in there after Barry and didn't have any success in the playoffs. And, you know, now they said they're going to hire a, a coach who's played, who's been in the NHL. I mean, Laviolette's names come up. Bruce Boudreaux's come up. Uh, Mike Babcock. Several other names. Mike Gerard, Babcock has come up. Gerard Gallant. Uh, yeah, Gerard Gallant. So, I mean, you know, likely one of those guys will get the job. And uh, and they all have coached for quite some time in the National Hockey League. So, uh, you know, I, I think that'll be a big boost for the Capitals, as uh, McClellan uh, GM said. He said, we got a an older more established team and we need an older, more established coach. And that's what Barry Trotz was. And I, I agree with him. I think that's what they need. It's great. We have a very interesting get joining us today who played with you in Birmingham. Let's just say one of the more colorful characters that was assembled on that club who became more famous off the ice, I would have to say, in the movie Slapshot. If of course I'm referring to one of the Hanson brothers, Dave Hanson. Dave's son, Christian, played for the Leafs, and as a double whammy for me, played for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Dave, firstly, how's things? And secondly, while on the family topics, any dinner table chirping over the alma maters? <laughs> well, actually, when you started the intro, I thought you were going to talk about squid. Jeez. Until <laughs> you hit slap shot. <laughs> uh, we, uh, you know, we have some pretty good banter over the dinner table here and there, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a true fan of, of Notre Dame, Irish hockey, and, and the whole university there. And and certainly when, uh, actually when a good friend of mine, Brian Burke, uh, called uh, called me and then I passed the phone to Christian on our trip back after Christian got disqualified uh, out of the playoffs with Notre Dame and said, uh, Burke, said, hey, Christian, want to sign you. I immediately became a big fan of the Leafs and I have not, actually have not stopped. So well, I like I, I look at the top of that shirt there, and it looks blue and white. Don't tell me there's a crest on the bottom. Oh. There you go, buddy, right there. Oh, oh yeah. all right. You sure know how to uh, figure I actually say there's, there's three NHL teams that I, I cheer for. It's the Leafs, uh, the Pens, because I'm in Pittsburgh, obviously, and uh, and still Minnesota. You know, still, still hope St. Paul someday uh, pulls one out of there, too. They deserve it. Just Some like pretty speaking, speaking of the Penguins, yeah. Uh, oh, what did you do that trade you just made with the Leafs? You know, I, I, I think here in Pittsburgh, you know, the pundits are saying that, uh, geez, I think Pittsburgh got the short end of the deal. Uh, but I honestly don't know enough about the players uh, that they all got traded to be, really give you an honest opinion, Squid. You know, other than Rosovsky, because Christian played Rosovsky, and I used to watch him play in Providence and pretty good, pretty good hockey player, but whether he's NHL material on a long-term basis, just to be seen, but he'll certainly help, uh, help the Marlies. Well, I mean, that, well, I think first I was, round pick too. Yeah. First I mean, round I, pick. He's I mean, a good hockey player. Yeah. There's a, I mean, they gave up a lot, but you know, in desperate times, some desperate measures have to take place. And listen, yeah. in Toronto, Hey, listen, we're no different here, Davey in Toronto, uh, in Toronto, yeah. the team's been out a month. And on social media, there's been 23 trades, I think. Uh, there's been two coaches fired already. Uh, the GM's been changed. Uh, they've switched rinks, I think, they're going to play at. And this yeah. all, as I said, within the last month. And they haven't yeah. played game, okay? So yeah. <laughs> we know exactly what you're going through in Pittsburgh here in Toronto. Well, that's a mess. And, and, I'm, and it still boggles my mind that they fire, especially here in Pittsburgh, they fire three assistant coaches, <laughs> you know, instead of <laughs> – making some major trades yeah. and thinking it's the players. But I, I, you know, I know Jimmy Rothford pretty well. He's a winner and uh, he knows how to put championship clubs together. And, and I think uh, there's better days to come here in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I'm sure there's going to be some. Now, Dave, speaking of which, you mentioned Minnesota is one of your spots. You grew up in uh, under the legendary miracle coach, Herbie Brooks at the university of Minnesota. And eventually played for the North stars for a short brief while later and later in your career, just take us through your early years of college and, even leading up to that playing hockey in Minnesota? Well, you know, Minnesota back in my day was really the, you know, the, the state of hockey in, in the United States, uh, you know, all the way from the Iron Range on down, you know, to the Twin Cities area. Uh, you just, people in the wintertime, that's what, you know, the land of 10,000 lakes, so that's all we did, you know, was, yeah. was skate, you know, either skate or drink beer, and I wasn't old enough to drink beer yet, so. <laughs> so, uh, so really, I, I grew up through the high school hockey um, which, you know, almost all the kids did that played hockey, came up through those ranks. 
And as a true freshman out of uh, at 18 years old, I was actually thinking I was heading to New Mexico to play football, which was really my primary love, even though I played hockey most of the time. Uh, and as, as, you know, things would have it, uh, Herb Brooks kind of came knocking on the door and uh, invited me to become a golfer. And there's not a kid in Minnesota that uh, doesn't dream of playing for the golfers, you know. And, and so I certainly didn't hesitate to uh, say yes. And uh, But as things would work out there, you know, I just wasn't ready for college hockey. Uh, and I should say, as most true freshmen aren't, unless you're really the exception, and I certainly wasn't exceptional. And uh, I just didn't have the patience, uh, you know, and certainly didn't have the foresight uh, and the maturity to recognize what uh, Herb Brooks could do for a, for the development of a kid. So I decided to go back. I actually got went back and played junior hockey for a uh, for a junior league in St. Paul that was that was uh, uh, coached by by another legendary Minnesota guy, Doug Wook, who went on to uh, to coach the Gophers for years and had a great career there, and won a couple national championships and literally. Right out of there, instead of going back to school, I turned pro. I had uh, Glenn Sommer. Yeah, that's when the WHA was, you know, in its infancy, and, and Glenn Sommer, uh, you know, and we know the kind of teams uh, Glenn put together. You know, so, well, well, we're going to yeah. get into we're going to get into that. That's for sure yeah. because that's where Squid kind of comes into the equation at some point. So um, now, under Herb, I one mean, one thing, one thing, Dave. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. One yeah, thing, no, Dave, go. about. I've heard so much, and I've played with guys from Minnesota, okay, especially in Buffalo, Mike Ramsey, Phil Housley. Yeah. Uh, they've talked so much about high school hockey and how great it was in Minnesota. Uh, talk a little bit about that because I know that, like, the NHL have dropped, uh, you know, uh, over the years, have drafted guys' first-round picks right out of high school oh, sure. in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, Phil is one of them, right? I mean, you know, how's yeah. it was one of them? Yeah, well, I guess I guess one way that, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you guys in Canada would, would maybe equate high school hockey and going to the high school, uh, winning the high school championship is like winning the Memorial Cup championship for juniors, mm-hmm. except you're doing it as, you know, anywhere from being a, a freshman in, in high school to a senior in high school. So that's the ages of, what, 16, 15, 18 years mm-hmm. old. And, yeah. yeah, everybody at that at that time, you know, strove to to get to the high school hockey tournament uh they played at the old met center i don't know squid was the met around yeah. when you played yeah so yeah. you know all the games yeah. were played at the met center so you know that, that's where the north stars played. so it was kind of like playing at the gardens you know for a minnesota kid and they'd sell and, the rinks out excuse me and they'd sell the rinks out oh yeah that's what i was gonna oh, say yeah. not only sold out but it's televised and it's you know while it's on tv it's the it's the highest rated television program you know going throughout the state so so, yeah, so high school was like that. And, and, you know, the great thing about that is that you had these small towns up in northern Minnesota, you know, like Warrior, I'm sorry, uh, um, Virginia, Minnesota, and Cloquet, Minnesota, and, and uh, you know, some of those teams. And, and, you know, could not, you would think just because of the size of the towns and, and the size of the kids going to the school, that there's no way they're going to compete with the teams down in Edina, Minnesota, where, you know, it's a metropolis down there and you're pulling kids from all over the place or, or for that matter, even out of St. Paul. But, you know, all of a sudden out of Roar Road, Minnesota, you'd have a Henry Boucher playing for a hockey team or a Mike Antonovich playing for a team up there or Gary Gambucci or, you know, any of those players like that. And they'd be surrounded with just a, a, a bunch of good kids and good hockey players, they come down and they beat these big schools. And at that time, unlike now, they didn't have really classes. It was just every team, every high school team was at the same, uh, like in the same conference, for example, yeah. and played against each other when they got to high school tournaments. So it was really, really exciting uh, and it was fun. And, and if you were lucky enough you got to play indoors before you hit to the mat because I know growing up for me, I didn't, I did not skate on an indoor hockey rink until I was a sophomore in high school. Up to that point, oh, wow. you know, our power skating drills was pulling the hose out, you know, onto the rink and flooding the rink and then pushing the shovels up and down to take the snow off. We played outdoors. We built our own rinks. So it was, it was really a, a great time to grow up and, and to your point squid high school hockey there was just the Mecca of sports. Yeah. So when you were 
when you when you got away from Minnesota, I mean, well, I was going to ask you two questions here. One, I just want to see if Herb Brooks, I mean, the short time you're with him, was there any sort of blast besides the fact that you didn't, you failed to realize at the time he would have had an impact on you moving forward. But is there anything he did leave with you? It could be a funny story or something that just stuck with you to this day that you kind of chuckle every time you hear his name from when you play with him. Oh, yeah, I think it was work ethic. Uh, you know, he, and again, I think that's one of the things that, you know, was kind of unique then uh, was that Minnesota only had Minnesota kids. They did not recruit outside of the, outside of uh, the state of Minnesota. And, you know, those kids, you know, like I said, you go up to the iron range. I mean, they, they come from blue collar families mm-hmm. uh, and, and I did as well. And I know guys, and, you know, so they were used to working hard and, and Herb just continued to grow that, you know, and instill that in any of his athletes. So, you know, if you watch, you know, the last movie with Kurt Russell, Miracle on Ice, and they yeah. talk about, you know, the wolves eating, eating you up. And, and we had these things called Herbies, which they show in the, in the movie where, you know, you go, you start at the red line and, you know, Squid, you know this because Brophy used to do this to us all the time when we lost. You'd start on the red line, you go red line, blue line, red line, red line, red line, far blue line, red line, all the way down the red line. And then you come back and you think you're done after 15 of those and you'd say, and you blow the whistles, keep going. So, you know, to answer your question, Mike, it was, you know, yeah. a work ethic. I mean, Herbie, yeah. we would run the stadium, and he was so advanced. I mean, he, you know, he was the first one, or at least one of the first ones, with that brought kind of the European flair over to North America and found a way to integrate it. But, you know, we'd be running the football stadium, the Minnesota Gophers football stadium with weighted vests on. You know, and nobody was really doing that at that time. And, and you know, once we got done with that, he'd say, okay, get to the locker room, get changed, and we go out and we do Herbie's. You know, so it was, so that's the kind of, you know, that, that stuck with me in my whole career, you know, and, and also just appreciating where you are in life at that point in time. So the other By thing, the way, before, oh, before we move on, what was your yeah. position in football? Yeah. I was uh, uh, well, I was a linebacker. Linebacker? Yeah. Well, it was, it was, running, it was back? running back and a linebacker. Yeah. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Good guess. Go. Good guess. Well, you know what I was going to ask you, Dave, is, um, I, I, you've kind of answered it already, but I mean, you come from a hockey crazy area, but sometimes like us, we grew up in Toronto, we kind of take a little bit of her granted, but you, when did it finally hit you going around the country playing pro college or wherever you were playing at the time, or even any, any lower level hockey? Um, did you realize, geez, Minnesota really is a special place compared to some of these other places? Well, it's probably the first time when uh, I left, I went to, uh, when I signed with the Minnesota Fighting Saints, uh, we had training camp right in Minnesota, right in St. Paul. Yeah. You know, the nice hotels, the good food, this and that. And then they sent me to uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario <laughs> to finish off my minor league training camp <laughs> for Johnstown Jets. And they stuck us in the Olympia Hotel. And our wake-up call was this big old German lady with a cigarette butt hanging out of her mouth. She would slide the window open because you couldn't lock the window. She'd slide the window open, put her arm through the door, open the door, come in with the vacuum cleaner and start yelling and smoking, saying, time to get up. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, how great is Minnesota compared to this? But then I went from that, from there, and then I drove into Johnstown, which was like going into the to the bowels of hell because I'm coming in. Johnstown sat in a valley, and I'm dri- we're driving in late at night, and I'm seeing through the through the haze of a, of a smoke-filled valley these flames of smoke coming out of the chimneys of the, of the steel mills, and I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? So, yeah, I'd have to say that's when I really sincerely appreciated you know, exactly. what it's like to be back home. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably as good as one as any. Well, now that you're in, we're, we're, going, we're in the NHL in uh, Johnstown, uh, obviously became famous for Slapshot, which we're going to get to momentarily, but we want to go through some other things first because we have a listening audience, I think, that uh, in that 35 to 50 genre that just really may not appreciate what went on in that period including the WHA. Now, you were drafted by the Minnesota Fighting Saints, as you mentioned, in 74, 59th overall. But you didn't really get a shot to stick for a couple of years. So let's start, go back to the beginning. Now, one of the things we like to do when we bring players on, such as yourself, I have this three sort of tier question that I ask about when a player first comes out of wherever they're playing, junior, college, or even, even the minors. But going to your first training camp, there's the expectations of what you're thinking for yourself and what could be in front of you. The reality, when it hits you that possibly there's two couple rooms full of guys just like you. And third, survival. 
when does that really click in that you have to do something just to stick with these guys? So I throw that over at you. Well, you know, I was 20 years old when I went to the Minnesota camp, you know, and you had established NHLers and WHA players there. Mike Walton, uh, Teddy Hampson, uh, I think Davey Keehan was there at the time, uh, McKenzie, you know, a bunch of those guys. And, uh, uh, but I was in shape, you know, and, and I'm thinking I'm really doing something here because they got, they got us running up and down the friggin' hills in the streets of St. Paul. And I'm leading, you know, I'm one of the guys leading the pack while, while John Garrett, the goalies, and Mike McMahon, and, you know, a few of those guys are kind of sitting and hiding behind the trees having their cigarettes and letting a young buck go. You know, and then I get on the ice and I'm running around like a, you know, like a man with a chicken with a head cut off. And, you know, and, and then you could see just the skill level there. You know, I didn't have the skill level, but I had the physical, you know, at least the physical mentality of, of banging heads with these guys and, and knocking them around a little bit. But, you know, to get sent off, like going back to Niagara Falls, Ontario, <laughs> at the Olympia Hotel, and, and I don't even know what the name of the rank was there, but it was another dungeon. Okay, hold on, hold on. <laughs> I, you I go. live in Niagara Falls nowadays, <laughs> so be careful, be careful. I'm but sure those places not, don't... Here <laughs> you're not going to woods as much better than the Olympia Hotel was. Although I can tell you, I had my first Canadian beer that they had a great, the best beer I ever It could not compare to the Ham's beer in Minnesota. <laughs> Whatever I had there was great. <laughs> but I go in, you know, we go into the rink, and the trainer, you know, a young kid there, says, "Okay, you know, hey, you know, go down to the room and pick out your sticks that you want for training camp." So again, after leaving the Saints, you know, where all the sticks are new. I go into this little room and I and I literally, they the sticks I'm picking from were from five years to ten years back, used sticks, you know. And so you know that was that was oh, kind of. Welcome but then we got, to the miners. It was welcome to the miners. Welcome to the miners. I don't think you could get much lower on the rung of the ladder there. And then we get into Johnson, like I said, the trip into Johnstown and and but you know to your point, then it was a matter of. You know, the first game, the first couple games, you know, really, you know, you're 20 years old, you're naive, you don't know what to expect, even though the veterans are there and they're trying to tell you. You get out there and you're playing against these veterans from the, uh, you know, the bed in the East Co East Hockey League, Eastern Hockey League, you know, now it's called the North American League, but it's the same yeah. guys. And, and, you know, they're out there to take your head off. Yeah. And uh, I really think it took my first fight, which was probably out of fear, more than anything and not a reaction to recognize that, Hey, you know what? I can carry my own weight here. Uh, I don't need to be afraid of anybody and let's just play the game and see where it goes. Well, you had 249 penalty minutes your first year. So, I mean, you just sort of touched on that. I mean, did eventually you obviously gained a reputation or your reputation probably preceded you obviously going into the ranks as you went along. Did you find that it switched over pretty quickly where you went from defending yourself looking for guys to stay established to guys coming after you as the season wore on? Well, and just before I get into that, yeah, I had 249 penalty minutes, but I also had a $1,000 bonus in my clause of Minnesota that if I got, if I let the team in penalty minutes, you know, I mean, I was making $200 a week, so I'm thinking, oh, man, a thousand bucks. I mean, that's – so So to top that story off, the last game of the season, I'm leading the team in penalty minutes, and uh, – and I'm thinking, oh, I got this wrapped up. And Jeff Carlson goes out and gets a freaking five and a ten and a gross misconduct and beats me by one minute. <laughs> one friggin' minute. <laughs> but, you know, that first half of the season, yeah, I think it was the first half of the season, you know, where you're, you're kind of going through the teams and, and the lineups. And, uh, you know, everybody uh, is out to establish a name and establish a place and, you know, and intimidation was a big part of the game back then, you know, not only at the National Hockey League with, with Philly and, and those teams, but certainly at the, in the minors level. The second half of the season then, you know, after I kind of gained a reputation and established myself, yeah, then it was kind of like, okay, let's start working on the skills. But I still had to maintain the toughness because that was part of the team and it was part of the makeup of our team that led us to a championship. Well, how about the Carlson brothers at that time? You mentioned with the way you're getting beat up by a bet. Yeah, the other brother had 239 minutes, I think. They had almost 600 minutes between the two of them. 
Well, yeah, the other brother, Jack, had 239 minutes yeah. in like half a season, and then he got caught <laughs> up to Minnesota. <laughs> and then Steve had almost 100 minutes, and he led the team in scoring. Yeah, well, Steve was a pretty good hockey player. He didn't have to worry too much about uh, – he had Jack on one wing, Jeff on the other wing, and me on defense. So Steve could go out and play the game because he was just a pup. He was, I think, 18 years old at the time and a pretty skilled player. So so he didn't have to worry about the fighting. I think he just, you know, did 100 minutes so people didn't – I mean, you could – you could you could just lace up a pair of skates and go out and do nothing but skate around all season long and rack up penalty minutes in that league. It, it was just it just came along. But Steve didn't have to worry too much about uh, fight. So um, I mean, your second year you went to 311 minutes and penalties. So again, you obviously you're established of what you're doing. The guys like Cherry and all that speak to the toughness of what was going on during during their period. Do people really? Could they really appreciate what you guys went through trying to survive in those leagues? Or how tough it really was playing in those days. Well, I think the only guys that can appreciate it are the guys that played in that era and certainly played uh, at that level. Um, you know, on one hand, you know, depending on where you are, I mean, the fans love it. I mean, fans stand up and cheer yeah. twice a game, right? Or for two reasons in a game: when the goals are scored, when the fight breaks out. Uh, yeah. You know, and Johnstown was Johnstown was a like you know steel mill coal mining town, and and you know every every guy had a can of snuff in his lip and uh, every girl had a can of snuff in her back pocket. <laughs> that's, that's the way it was. So, you know, and again, we were, you know, Glenn Sommer, you know, he had the type of team he wanted and, and then the minors, that's what he built down there. So it was, a, it was a tough goal. So no, to answer your question, Mike, I don't think, you know, unless you played, um, I don't think you can appreciate what it, what it meant and what you had yeah. to go through to keep your head above water and not have it taken off. That's fair enough. Um, now, you, Birmingham, let's get to the Birmingham side of things. They were, it was a notorious team from a number of standpoints. Uh, they did a number of different things. Now, first off, before we go any further, and I, I like your opinion on this, I mean, John Bassett Jr., in my view, was a sporting genius. I mean, he was yeah. way ahead of his time in hockey, football, tennis. There's a book out this fall on him, and I encourage all hockey fans or sports fans to read this about him. First off, what, were, what was your relationship with John F.? John, John was, uh, I got to know John, I wouldn't say real well, I mean, he's an owner, you know, do you get, yeah. got to know him well enough because he would come in the locker room once in a while, you know, he would, uh, he would meet you individually once in a while, and I found him to be soft-spoken, uh, uh, and to your point, you know, very knowledgeable, I mean, he, he surrounded himself with good people, but he knew how to, how to do things right, you know, when he went into Birmingham, of course, they pulled that team out of Toronto, when he went into Birmingham, uh, I think he, you know, he kind of, pulled the right people together and says, what's it going to take to make hockey successful in Birmingham? And, and at that time, you had the legendary coach Bear Bryant uh, coaching on the Alabama uh, Crimson Tide football team, University of Alabama. And I think the people pretty much said, uh, you know, people love their football. So if you want hockey to be successful, it's got to be smash mouth hockey. And so, you know, he listened and that's what he built. You know, he, he hired Jill's Leger and, yep. uh, and then Glenn Sonmore and, uh, and they built that kind of top club there. Well, they had. It's funny you mentioned. It's funny you mentioned that, Dave, because uh -huh. I remember the year I was there, and I think we averaged probably nine or ten thousand a game. I think, and I remember that we had Bear Bryant at night, and I mean it was sold out. I mean it was unbelievable. The the, the building was absolutely packed because it was Bear Bryant night, and uh, that that was something that like baffled me because I wasn't used to that. I didn't know much about football down there at that point or Bear Bryant or any of that. But um, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, especially in those days, people, the fans love the fights and they love the, the goals, but they love the fights too. And, you know, it, it's the way it was. Yep. Well, you know, um, I, I think also that uh, – now, you guys had first year. You guys, by the way, totaled – almost 2,200 minutes in penalties. So I, over, I just did a little math and I couldn't do it in my head, but that's almost 27 minutes a game in penalties. So I want to ask you this, Dave. Now, the penalty killers, were they the highest paid players on the team? They were just the most overworked players on the team. <laughs> <laughs> so I bet the other thing you got to remind people, again, it's that 35 to 50 genre that don't appreciate this. You guys had four guys in that club that had over 200 minutes in penalties each. I mean, you had some characters with Durbano and Billolo and some of the other guys. I mean, first off, speak to those guys before you do. Just sort of, I want to remind people also that 
He also had players like Ken Linsman, Mark Napier, Paul Henderson, Frank Mahovlich, Ron Langway, Vlasov Dedemansky. So this was just, this was not just uh, roller derby on ice. Although no. sometimes it probably felt like that. Well, and I think that's, you know, guys like Paul, you know, used to probably complain to the coach, you know, come on, coach, geez, put these guys on the bench for a while so we can play some hockey. <laughs> uh, but no, we had a very good hockey team, you know, and just to, Ned Amansky, uh, you mentioned his name. Yes. Ned was on the team before I got there because actually a, a story behind that is Durbano and I were with Detroit. Ned Amansky and Tim Sheehy were with Birmingham, and we were the first interleague trade between the NHL and the WHA. So uh, Detroit traded uh, us for those guys, and, and so, you know, of course, Ned went on for a, to a Hall of Fame uh, career, and uh, and what did Durbano and Hanson do? I don't know what the hell they did. You know? So, well, now, how about there, now? Any memorable games from that season, the first year you played with Birmingham with your your group, that you just look back now and you just kind of shake your head and said, "Boy, oh boy, was that that was just absolutely bizarre." Well, there's yeah, there's there's actually too many probably to talk about <laughs> uh, in the time frame of this show, but. You know, when I showed up, like I hadn't – in fact, I don't even remember Durbano in training camp at Detroit. So he may have been there, but he certainly wasn't there doing the kind of stuff that, that he was notorious for doing. But, but I can remember the first time I met Durbano in the locker room. It was actually before a game. And uh, and he's got – he's in the back room in the stick room, and he's he's got a rasp, and he's sharpening the end of his, his blade. And I'm just standing there watching him, and I'm trying to think to myself, "What are you? What's he doing that for?" So I finally said, "Hey, Durbo, you know, what are you doing that for?" And we were playing Hartford that night with Gordy. Gordy was on Hartford, and he says, "I'm sharpening up, and I'm getting ready for the old man tonight." I'm thinking, "Oh my God, what am I in for?" You know. So that was Durbo. I mean, and there was, I got, I can honestly say, I love the guy. I love playing with the guy. He was the greatest teammate. He was a gentlemen anytime we're off the ice but on the ice you just had no idea what was going to happen next um, but probably the most at least one of the most memorable things is is the night that we were in the playoffs against against uh, the Winnipeg Jets now the Winnipeg Jets could have played against any National Hockey League team in that in that at that year and certainly could have competed as well as beat most of them if not all of them because you think about the guys they had there, you know, obvious Bobby Hall, but they had Anders Hedberg, Ulf Nielsen, Schuberg was on defense, Lindstrom. Yeah. I mean, oh, man, could they skate and they could fly. And, you know, and they had some toughness. I think that Claxton was there and, and Dave Dave Dunn, I think was his name, was there, you know, a couple other guys. But so, you know, we played him. The, we, had, we got him in the first round of the playoffs. And, of course, you know, there's no way we were picked to even win a hockey game. And yet, uh, you know, we had a bunch of competitors um, and a lot of guys that had a lot of pride and, and were good hockey players. But, you know, I figured, well, I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to try to set the tone and uh, I'm just going to go after Bobby. Uh, you know, first shot I get, I'm going to step into him, knock him on his ass. And, uh, and now the guys are going to, you know, raise their eyebrows and you know, we're going to be in this thing. So the opportunity came. I stepped into Bobby. Bobby knocked me on my ass. And uh, if I recall right, probably went in and scored a goal. So, you know, I put my stick between my legs and scooted off to the bench and sat there like a whipped dog for, you know, 30 seconds and then got pissed off. I said, well, that's not going to happen again. So there's an opportunity later in the game. And and uh, this was actually after Gerbo got thrown out for some incident. So there was another opportunity in the game. So I stepped into Bobby and and I might have got my elbows up a little high. I don't really recall. But all of a sudden, Bobby and I got our gloves off, and we're fighting. We're throwing punches. And as we're going at it, you know, the Winnipeg crowd is screaming, and everybody else back then, they dropped the gloves, and they paired up. And we're going at it, and all of a sudden, you know, we stop. And I don't know why we stop. When we stop, I'm looking right at Bobby, and he's looking at me, and I'm looking at Bobby, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, something looks really different. And I looked down on my hand, and God forbid, I realized I got Bobby Hall's wig in my hand. I ripped this friggin' wig <laughs> off his head. <laughs> and I threw the wig out away, and I'm going, geez. So I, anyhow, so I get, I get two minutes for elbowing and a five-minute major. 
Bobby doesn't get anything. Bobby goes in, grabs a Jaffa helmet, comes back out, and continues to play the game. Yeah. Later in the game, I'm up at a face-off, line up against Bobby. I was, I was playing wing then. And I said, geez, Bobby, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean, I didn't know. He said, ah, kid. And if you ever heard Bobby talk, right? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's still oh, the yeah. same to this yeah. day. Ah, kid, don't worry about it. I need to get a new one anyhow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> But I think, I could be wrong, but I think we, we might have beat him that night. Yeah. In fact, on a side note, you know, after they eliminated us from the first round, they went on and went undefeated to win the AFCO Cup. No other team in the, in the rest of the playoffs beat them. But just to finish the story up here, so at the end of the game, you know, we go out, I think Garrett might have been in net for us. I'm skating off, and, and the legendary Bill Friday was the official. And I skate up to Bill, and I said, Bill, I says, why don't you throw me out of the game? He says, for what? I says, for, for pulling hair, for pulling Bobby's hair. I says, it's a gross misconduct, right? Hair pulling, throw him out of the game. He says, are you kidding me? He says, if it was real hair, I might have called it, but that isn't hair. It's, it's a rug. <laughs> <laughs> so the memory doesn't end there, Mike. <laughs> I so, like that. I said earlier in the game, Durbel gets thrown out, right? Yeah. So Durbel's in the street clothes. We're all in the locker room. We're in the showers. <laughs> and and I don't know if – Squid, I don't know if it's the old arena. If we played in the old arena, but if you remember, the bus the bus would come down underneath the arena yeah. by the locker rooms, yeah. and that's where it would sit and wait. But, the, but it was also an exit for the fans. The fans could come down that way. Yeah. And, you know, so all of a sudden, we're all in the shower. Sonmore comes running in. He says, guys, guys, he says, they're after Durbel. They're kicking the crap out of Durbel. And we go, what? And he says, guys, get out there. So you got Frankie Beat and me, Serge Baudouin, <laughs> and a bunch of us. We're all running all bare-ass naked with, with, with our dinks wiggling here and there. <laughs> and we go out in the crowd, and we're fighting bare-ass naked against all these fans. You know, so it was – so that's one of the most memorable, you know, events of my life in the WHA. That one's pretty tough to top, I would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, cool. now we get into the following year. Uh, Somner's out. Brophy comes in. A little roster adjustment. And all of a sudden, you know, you know where I'm going with this one. Eight 19-year-olds get brought in from junior in Canada and across the country. And one 18-year-old, and Michelle Goulet. And one of them happened to be the guy in the other part of the show with me. You're sitting there now. It's a little bit of a veteran for a number of years, Dave. And you're sitting thinking, all right, like, what went through your mind right off the bat? What's he, what are we doing with these kids now? Well, again, there's the genius of, of uh, Bassett, right? Yeah. I mean, who obviously he had the foresight to yeah. see something was going on and, and to, you know, to pull those kids out of junior at that age and just that, that crop that came in there, uh, you, know, you know, how brilliant is that, right? Yep. So, you know, I actually think, if I recall, you know, I think, again, I started out, in Detroit uh, that year. And I don't know what happened with, you know, but I'm trying to think back there, Squid, maybe you remember, but I don't think Beaton was there any longer. Billado was there any longer. Yeah. So, so, uh, so Brof, you know, Brof, uh, who I played for in the minors before that, you know, Brof uh, found a way to get me back to Birmingham. So, yeah. So I, so I come into this group with a, a bunch of, you know, pimply ass kids, uh, and, and, you know, and bro pulls me right away, he pulls me aside and he says, Dave, this, you got to be the straw that stirs a drink for us. He says, because, you know, these kids they are good, but they're green and it's going to take them a while. And I'm just, I'm afraid that, you know, these guys like Semenko and Claxon and Baxter and Brackenberry and these guys are just going to eat them up. And so, you know, we need you here and, and you need to be willing to, you know, to do your job, step it up. And I'm, you know, what am I going to say? No, bro, send me back. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I said, yeah, fine. You know, and, and that's how it started out, you know, but I got to honestly say, you know, they were, they were an eager group, uh, you know, and certainly in practices when I first got on the ice with those guys, you could see the raw talent just, you know, it was just exuberant. So, so it was a fun group, you know, the, the excitement was there, but you mentioned Michelle's uh, Goulet's name, you know, the, the little funny story I got there, so early on, so Bro pulls me again. He pulls me aside in the yeah, training room. He says, "Listen, he says, you got to teach this kid how to fight." He says, "You know, <laughs> otherwise they're just going to eat him up." So we had a punching bag in the back room, a heavy bag and a speed bag, and I, yeah. he says, "So you know, take him in the back room." I said, "Seriously?" He says, "Yeah." He says, 
So, you know, back then, I don't think Michelle and Squid maybe you know better, but I don't think he spoke any English. Uh, or, no, or very, very little, little, very yeah. little. Yeah. So he probably had no idea. So I, so I take him back to the heavy bag, and, and I'm showing him. I said, okay, here, do this, do that. So he's hitting the bag, and he's trying to do this, and it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, almost like baseball slap-happy fights, yeah. right? And so we're in there for about five, ten minutes maybe, and I said, okay, that's enough. And I, I walk out. I find Brolf. I says, Brolf, I says, forget it. It'll be a lot easier if I just protect him. I'll protect anybody goes after him I'll go out take care of it it certainly worked out pretty well for Moshe uh, for Goulet right yeah yeah hey so Ricky uh here's where you came in now how about the kid here he led the team in scoring and in penalty minutes he took your job from you there uh Davey yeah well it's funny no no well (laughs) you talk about Lensman I'm teasing by the way I was thinking about you know I don't know how it popped into my head, but you know, when you mentioned Lindsman, you know, I played I played on Lindsman's line and Lindsman Lindsman made a career out of it. A great hockey player, but what an agitator. You he wasn't know. called the rat for nothing. Oh, and I actually grabbed him one time. I mean and I tell Kenny this when when I see him. I say, Remember the time I grabbed you in the and I in a, in the bathroom, I threw up against the wall. And I says, "You got to knock that crap off." I says, "I'm getting tired." I said, "I don't get to play anymore." I get out there and you stir it, and then I got to, you know, I got to fight for you. I said, "I'd like to play." My hands are getting sore. My head's getting sore. You go what? He said, "Okay, okay," you know. And then of course he he wouldn't change, you know. And I think back to 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 Ricky. I mean, the, Ricky was like that. Ricky was the same way. He. he he was agitating. He, he was, you know, yapping. He was sticking you. The difference was, is Ricky would drop his gloves, though, you know, and, and he would go toe-to-toe with anybody. He wasn't – I wouldn't say he wasn't afraid. Maybe that's why, you know, he, 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 he would go at it, but he stood up. He stood up. I never had to stand up for him because for fear of him not being able to stand up for himself. Uh, but uh, he deserved it and, and obviously went on to have a great career doing doing the whole thing through his whole career well you know it's funny because a lot of people talk about Brof and some of his uh mundane ways of doing things when he came to toronto and so on but he he was the guy that sat me down and said listen kid so we don't have the same guys that were here last year to protect you and you know we have a couple of guys but you know, if you don't stand up for yourself, they're going to run you right out of the right out of the, the professional hockey. And I, you know, and I, well, I already was a bit of a agitator, as you said, anyway, and didn't mind fighting. Uh, but it just it just kind of reconfirmed for me that okay, I'm going to go out and I'm not going to take any shit. And uh, and eventually, by doing that, guys got tired of breaking their hands on my helmets and stuff like that. And, uh, <laughs> It gave me a little bit more room, so you know what? I, I did what I had to do, and uh, uh, eventually, three or four years down the road in the National Hockey League, and Mike Nicola comes to me and says, you know, Rick, he says, uh, we need you on the ice. We can't afford to have you in the penalty box. And I was like, oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I was like, I didn't have to fight any. Well, I did, I did fight a bit, but I didn't have to fight as much anyway, so... Uh, I was able to go out and score goals and, and uh, do what I love to do. So uh, it, it broke, broke helped me with that a lot. So I don't know. I don't know, Ricky, if I ever told you the story. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure. I, in fact, maybe you don't remember because you got knocked out. But I mean, remember when Gordy hit you with the elbow in Birmingham and knocked you out? Oh, yeah. So I'm on the bench. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever, if I haven't, if I told you this, I'm going to tell you it again because I remember it vividly. I'm on the bench. And, and anytime you're on the bench, and Gordy's on the ice, you, you just, you were hypnotized. You just watched Gordy, no matter where he was at. And he was that type of player. And, and I just loved the way he played. I mean, he's one guy that uh, you're afraid of. But, but with me, I, I always played hard and tough against him, but I never cheap shot him. You know, I, I try not to cheap shot anybody. But I, and I think he respected that because I'd go in a corner with him and guys would end up with bloody noses and teeth knocked out because he hit him with an elbow. But I never did. I mean, he would let me hit him. He'd let me check him, but I, you know. But anyhow, with regards to Ricky, so I'm watching him. Ricky's on the ice out there, and I'm watching him, and I know, I know Rick stuck Mark. 
earlier in the game, uh, Mark Hall. And, you know, and again, he doesn't, you know, he's a young kid, doesn't know any better. I played a year against Gordy before that. Everybody, you know, you don't leave his kids alone. Watch, and go, watch the play go up ice. Ricky's turning one way. Gordy's, I can see Gordy watching him, turning the other way. And just as they kind of go to crisscross, bang, there goes the elbow. Knocks, knocks Vibe out flat on his back. And, and Gordy keeps skating up the ice. And nobody, I don't know if anybody saw it other than me. And so later in the game, I'm at the face-off. I'm at the face-off across from Gordy, and, and I don't know how it happened, but there was at one time there was this time when Gordy come up to face-off, and I'm looking at his stick, and he had just a little slight curve at the end of his stick, and I, I'm thinking, I said, "Hey, Gordy, I think your stick's in the wrong hand." And he said, "Oh," and he flipped over. He says, "Thanks." So it kind of became a running joke between us. <laughs> so, so shortly after this, after they take Rick off the ice, and and uh, uh, I'm at a face-off against Gordy. And I saying, wow. I said, what'd you do that for? He says, I had to teach the kid to keep his head up. <laughs> I said, okay, sounds good to me, Gord. <laughs> yeah, I would have said the same thing. <laughs> you could. I would have said, yes, Mr. Howe, no problem. <laughs> hey, so Dave, tell me, uh, with all these rookies on the team that year, was there any initiation? And uh, did you guys get these guys on anything? You must have had some fun with the kids. Yeah, no, you know, I don't remember us initiating. I think they kind of outnumbered the veterans uh, at that time. <laughs> but uh, other than probably initiating them in the bars with those Southern Bells down there, you know, I mean, they were stealing <laughs> all the girls away from us old veterans, those kids. You know, they, had, they had to go with it. But, I mean, it was such a great group. I mean, you know, those guys, you had Ramage and Hartsburg and Ricky and Goulet and Jingra and Pat Riggins and, you know, I don't know who else uh, – yeah, Slager, Louis Slager, you know, it was such a great group of kids that, you know, it almost been, you know, a sin to, you know, give these guys a rookie shave, which was the traditional uh, uh, initiations back then. So now, um, I you know, the funny that... thing, as you say, I remember, I think it was my first game, and uh, you mentioned the heavy bag in the back room, and you had to go by the coach's office and the trainer's room to get there. So I, I remember my first game in between periods, I was going to the trainer's room for something. Larry Ashley, uh, God rest his soul, was a great trainer and, and a great guy. And I hear this noise and I sneak in back and, I, and, I, and there's Broth with his suit on and everything, swearing, cursing, spitting, and punching the heavy bag like crazy between periods. And I'm thinking, you know, wow, is it pro hockey really? Like, you know, but, Anyway, it was uh, – and then guys, before the warm-up, sitting there, Wayne Wood and, and all the older guys, playing backgammon for like, you know, yeah. 100 bucks a game and stuff like that. And I'm thinking, what are these guys doing? Like, we got to get ready for the game. you got to get your mind ready. And at least that's kind of what I did. And I couldn't fathom playing backgammon for, for money before a hockey game. So it was kind of weird for me, but – you got used to it after a while. Now, Dave, is there the, the WHA was knowing a little bit, I guess, some guys had talked it back in the period as a bit of a drinker's league uh, compared to the NHL with a lot of the free time between cities and games. And there was obviously a lot of bizarre things happening. I mean, look at Wayne Gretzky when he moved to his new team from Indianapolis going to Edmonton. Eddie Meal had to pay for the plane ride with his credit card because the company had no credit or was in debt. What, is there, give us a couple moments that stuck out throughout your career in the WHA that you would just shake your head at that would never happen in NHL or even, even a couple of stories that may have stood out for you for how guys carried on and some of the characters are in throughout the league. Well, yeah, I, again, I go back to the Minnesota Fighting Saints. I mean, I was with that organization, I think, when they folded three times in two years <laughs> or something like that. And we would be getting on an airplane. I wasn't there very long, but when I was there, you know, nobody was getting any paychecks and, you know, they'd all sit and talk about, well, we're getting paid today, and all of a sudden you'd have the owner, Wayne Belial, come come in and start giving everybody envelopes with cash in it, you know, so they get through another day. So, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, and then the team folds, and uh, uh, Don Niedermeyer, you remember him, uh, Squid, the, the, the equipment manager was the manager up there, 
the team folds and he's he's pulling stuff out out of the equipment room and and selling it out of the back of his truck to people you know that uh so he could get some money if guys wanted to get equipment and that. so it was you know that was kind of the shaky end of things there i mean it was just a, a great fun colorful league to play in but boy you just didn't know you know what team was going to be in business and yeah. you know, what team was it uh, but boy, was it a, it was, you know, again, you go back to like Gretzky, you know, you play against Wayne Gretzky and, and talk about young pimply faced kids and skinny kids, you know, he, he's just out on the ice and you're playing against him his rookie season. You don't really know him. He's out there. And then all of a sudden, you know, you realize that you lost the game five to three and he's got four goals <laughs> and you don't know until you look at the score sheet, you know, but that, and then you get, you know, then you get, <laughs> You talk about the drinking. I mean, the drinking wasn't only in between games, but the drinking was even during the games, you know, with the Fighting Saints, you know. Yeah, guys like Shaky Walt would come in, and, and he could barely barely move, and, and Niederkorn would tighten up his skate so he could get out on the ice. And then you go out, and he'd score a friggin' hat trick. And then he'd come in and pop a beer and say, okay, boys, let's do this all over again. You know, it was, it was quite the Wild West. Well, that was uh, very interesting. The first part of our two-part feature with uh, Dave Hansen and boy, what a character! And uh, you know, Squid, what your teammates? You keep pulling these guys out of the hat. You played with some real characters, but the one thing they have all in common—they're all great guys. You know what they are? Dave was one of the best. He's uh, the funny thing about Dave is, is when you see the movie or when you, if you played with him the way he played, uh, but when you see him, he's just a down-to-earth. Uh, kind of a quiet guy uh, and and a great teammate. Like, you know, he, he would protect all of us. Like, he wasn't afraid to go out and, and take care of all of us 19 and 18-year-olds. It was uh, – he, he took that upon himself to make sure that he did that. And uh, I know that we all appreciate it for sure. Yeah, and it just he's, he's just got the respect of uh, all his teammates. You never hear a bad word yeah. said about him anywhere. And, uh, I mean, that's just fantastic. So, guys – that's the first part of the two-part series. Uh, the second part, we're looking forward to showing you guys next week. Uh, we get into dive into the movie. There's some fantastic <laughs> stuff coming out of the movie. We can't wait to share with you guys. So once again, we want to thank you guys. And hopefully next week when we speak to you, there'll be another leaf trade of some sort. I'm sure there'll be a few on Twitter. That's, that's a given. But let's see if there's anything oh, from yeah. Mr. Cal Dubas. And we want to thank everybody for listening. We want to thank the Hockey News for uh, picking us up once again and sponsoring. So go to the thn.com slash .com, I believe, is uh, for Hockey News subscriptions, and that will help you out. Listen, guys, thanks for staying with us today. We'll talk to you next week.